netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the FX Podcast. I'm John Montgomery. Our guest this week is Anthony Ganju from the company called Move AI, and it's a really cool podcast we have. It's a new company that is doing some amazing markless motion capture. And get this, it's doing it with iPhones, anywhere from two or more iPhones. The more iPhones you have, and depending upon the cameras you have, you can increase your volumetric capture volume. But it's really some amazing technology. Uh, you'll see some comparisons between their markless uh, capture system, with, which utilizes traditional uh, movie captures on the iPhone. Right now, it's only an iPhone app. Uh, you'll hear plans about the future later compared with a traditional marker capture system with way more cameras. It's really doing some cool artificial intelligence work and post-computational processing work to come up with really clever and interesting object tracking. Uh, It's actually cool enough that we're actually going to utilize it, I think, as part of an FX-PhD course that we currently have going project-based course, so we're looking forward to diving in that ourselves. So let's go ahead and find out more about this. Uh, I think you'll be really impressed. This is a conversation Mike Seymour with co-founder Anthony Ganju. So thanks so much for joining us. Hey, when did you guys first start? So going right back to the beginning, um, I'd sold my last company to uh, quite a big private equity firm and was leading technology and innovation for their sports and entertainment division. And around late 2018, I was doing a talk at Imperial College in London about the future of sports and entertainment technologies. And it's kind of part of my talk. I made every single person in the auditorium a bet that within the next five years, one of the most priceless pieces of IP in in sport and entertainment would be the data behind technique and how people move. And just after my talk, I had uh, my co-founder now kind of bounce up to me and showed me some of the work that he was doing with his PhD at Imperial on human kinematics and computer vision and deep learning and, and said, well, you talked about a five-year horizon. I think we can do this in three. Um, And I was blown away at the time by the potential of computer vision. And as I say, this was kind of mid-late 2018. So, you know, computer vision was still in its relatively raw form. And it just kind of opened my eyes to just an endless number of applications as to what it could create. And so about a month after that, we, we started talking seriously about creating a company that could harness and build on the work that he'd done with his PhD at Imperial College um, and, and create what became MOVE, uh, which we co-founded in, in April 2019, with a view to building a genuinely world-class computer vision and, and deep learning technology business with a focus on, on entertainment, gaming, and sport. Um, so we co-founded in the UK in, in April 2019. Um, so we're four years old as of as April this year. Um, and as with any startup, it's been a bit of a, a roller coaster, as you can imagine, particularly with COVID um, sat smack bang in the middle of uh, those, those four years. Um, but what we've managed to do really is, is assemble a team of uh, Avengers when it comes to building incredible code and you know, pioneering new ways that we can train the algorithms and, and, and the AI to understand movement from video. And we, we kind of see ourselves now as genuinely having, uh, one, a comparable solution to both optical and inertial systems when it comes to motion capture, uh, but two, you know, a, a market leading um, AI software that can that can export this high fidelity motion literally using any camera in any environment to any volume. And and as I say, that's that's been really exciting, and and particularly in the past kind of, I'd say eighteen months with everything that's emerged in relation to the metaverse, the the continuing um, uh, evolution of VR, AR, and mixed reality into the mainstream consumer psyche, and what's happened with Facebook becoming Meta, and now what's happening with generative AI, and, and equally the kind of dramatic growth in game engine technology. Um, it's just a really exciting time to be in a position where we can enable something that's traditionally been very expensive and very challenging in regards to motion capture and animation. Yeah. Speaking of those things that you mentioned just then, it seems such a perfect fit for what uh, Epic was doing with their MetaHumans as well. Basically, uh, just a, just brilliant timing. It's You seem to have everything kind of working in your favour. Let's walk through the tech, though, just for people that aren't so familiar, um, and then we'll work our way back to to a few more uh, use cases stuff. So 
So if I wanted to set up to capture myself, or in fact, more than just me at one time, but I'll come back to that, then I set up basically multiple cameras, but they're not basically you know, expensive, you know, $10,000 special mocap things, and I don't need to be in a suit. And so you can basically just set up a bunch of, uh, well, iPhones and film me and the machine will just determine my motion and transfer that to a rig, even though, as I say, there's nothing special in terms of lighting, um, markers, dots, even uh, needing to have like, as I say, specialist um, cameras that are all synced in some clever way. It's, it's kind of remarkable. Yeah, I mean, so I guess to start kind of from where we started gaining a lot of traction, um, we we got to the point in kind of early 21 where the kind of raw MVP system was designed around um, taking input video feeds from standard cameras and using the algorithms from multiple angles, using standard cameras to then run through our system and the algorithms extract high fidelity motion, um, automatically retargeting that, that motion to a rig that could then be used in in any game engine. You mentioned Epic. Epic have been incredible with us. I mean, they've worked with us. They're a client of ours. We're a mega grant winner. Um, so there's been a lot of kind of engagement with Epic and they've been an amazing partner for us. But, uh, you know, one of the pivotal moments really in the company's history was in, in early 21 when Electronic Arts found us. And basically they, they said to us that they've been scouring the industry for a number of years to try and find a, a marketless AI solution that was good enough to start kind of really creating data for their for their teams, for their pipelines, and for their game development. Um, and obviously, traditionally, they'd used a you know a variety of hugely expensive optical systems. And they came across us. They put us through quite quite a rigorous um, test of you know how good the quality was, and, and they came back to us and said, you know, there's really something here. Um, this is the best that we've we've ever seen when it comes to AI and marketless motion capture, and, and we think that you know within the next six months with our support, we could really get this technology to the point where we could start to deploy it and use it, um, and have it being comparable to an optical system. And so we went on a journey with them, really, over over most of twenty one, optimizing kind of everything you can imagine about the algorithms, from joint rotation to body positioning to pose estimation tracking to, you know, um, foot grounding, uh, and really kind of optimizing and optimizing and optimizing to the point where, by in uh, November of of twenty twenty one, they sent us a video which is now on our website, and it's actually something that we're going to put put out publicly today, um, of them doing a direct comparison um, in their optical studio um, between our system, which was at that point using eight GoPro cameras, um, and one of the kind of leading optical systems in the world, which had 75 cameras, and doing a direct benchmarking test between the two systems and the quality it would output. And that involves someone in, a, in, in an optical suit doing a variety of different movements, being shot by the optical cameras whilst being simultaneously shot by our GoPro cameras. And with the two sets of data then came out of that being put on the same rig, on the same avatar side by side. And what they're able to derive from that was that we, we were incredibly close. I mean, we weren't surpassing or matching it, but but as the videos um, that you'll see, if you haven't seen them already, we, we kind of shared them last year at SIGGRAPH with EA on stage. But we we, we we got to the point where it was it was incredibly close. And at that point, we kind of realized that the, the core... With the core technology, which had been designed fundamentally around high-fidelity video inputs, could be scaled in a number of different ways. First and foremost, to different device, so different cheaper um, kind of bits of hardware and cameras. So that might mean cheaper action cameras. It now means mobile phone devices. It can mean higher-grade cinematic cameras um, as well. Uh, but fundamentally, the technology could scale to different types of hardware, but also different types of volume. So you, you can kind of take this now from your living room to Wembley Stadium and use the same core technology to get this high fidelity motion out just by using a variable set of hardware devices. And so as we went into 2022, we, we signed a long term deal with Electronic Arts. We started kind of, you know, opening up the technology technology to 
you know, a number of different kind of key clients that we've spoken to, including Epic, and there's a, a world-famous sportswear brand that's on there, and a, a number of other kind of AAAs and, and mid-sized studios. And we started kind of lasering into how can we make this scale? How do we take this from effectively a way in which you can deploy, you know, eight GoPros or six GoPros or four GoPros because the, the quality of the output data directly correlates to the number of devices that you use. So if yep. you're using two iPhones or two GoPros, you're getting lower quality data than if you're using four or six. And yep. so we spent most of 2022 optimizing the technology for scale, optimizing the backend server infrastructure, the cloud infrastructure, you know, the, the, the ability to run it on device. And, you know, kind of late mid late 22 we got to the point where we had it running beautifully on on iPhones and you know at that point we realized that particularly as we can get it running on iPhones that are almost a decade old now so starting from the iPhone 8 upwards um we could be in a position where we the technology itself could be enabled on you know two three four iPhones that cost $120 each. And so it, we were now in a position where we could actually not just service the mid to higher end of the market and be directly competitive at dramatically reduced cost against both inertial systems and optical systems. But we, we could also kind of put the technology on mobile devices and have any creator anywhere in the world be able to literally buy a few iPhones, download an app, um, and start to create incredible motion data for whatever purpose that they have. And that might be a short, it might be game development. Um, and, and so we kind of launched our, our beta in, in October. And we've been very fortunate, really, over, over the course of kind of from late 21 to 2022, um, where we started to build a kind of a huge level of um, followers and awareness based on just drip feeding videos out. I mean, you mentioned Epic. There's quite a famous video that we put out in in kind of mid late 2021 when we won the Epic Mega Grant, which actually showed a incredibly high fidelity complex dance being motion extracted and retargeted to a meta human, um, and that got hundreds of thousands of views because no one really in the industry up until that point had believed that ai driven motion capture could output anywhere near the level of quality that inertia and, and yeah optimal. i've got to say i think it was vincent's talk at sidgraph that uh really zeroed it in i'd heard about because i think i saw the video from um that you did with the metahumans which i thought was just like a great fit um but vincent from electric arts did a sidgraph presentation uh, where we're basically discussing that stuff, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's incredible. Where, so, give me the quick version of where you are, like right today, because we're talking to you now. It's like January. Um, that last time I picked up on it was whatever that was, August last year. What? Where are we today? So, so where we're, where we are right now is we are um, building towards towards launching the app on the um, app store so the app is going to be on the app store from march the first okay. um because it's been in beta it's, right it's been in beta since october november and the purpose yep. of kind of having it in, in beta really has been to get it into people's hands to see how they're using it um to optimize the workflows the ui the ux to ensure that you know the server infrastructure behind everything can scale to derive feedback from usability and retargeting and rig types and you know also to kind of just start to see how people are, uh, see what people are creating from it and so as i say where we are right now is we launched the apple march first we're going to be launching our, our our kind of pricing in the next 48 hours which i can kind of tell you exclusively is going to be a dollar a day so it's going to be 365 dollars for effectively unlimited usage across a 12 month period for anyone that signs up to move. Um, and you know, that is a transformative price point when it comes <laughs> to kind of comparing alternative solutions for creatives, particularly when you think about, you know, your inertial suit systems. I mean, we're not we're not really even, you know, at the moment trying to attack the optical solutions, but we wanted to kind of at the point where we realized that actually for five hundred dollars, people people could buy three two or three refurbished iPhones to get cracking. We wanted to price the system in a way that really would enable anyone anywhere to use it and it to be accessible, not just to the mid-high end of the market, but to the creator economy and the Indies as well. Okay, so let's get into some details now because um, I really want people to understand some of the stuff. So the first thing that I thought, um, I mean, there's a lot of things, I guess, but one of the things I was kind of uh, really impressed is that 
In a system like this, normally it sort of looks good in a demo when someone's in the distance, but you know it's really not going to stand up to being close up. And so the, the benchmark for me of the fact that the system you know really sort of made me lean into it is when I realized that it actually did finger tracking, because finger tracking is an incredibly difficult problem. Um, and mm -hmm. so just sort of uh, obviously people can't see this, but like you would have say four iPhones on stands, obviously you want them locked off. Yeah. But inside that volume space, what's that like maybe six meters square? Would that be kind of like a typical kind of space? That kind of. Uh, so, so the, 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 the capture volume is variable. So it's variable obviously based on yeah. the number of devices um, at a minimum. Um, so we use the kind of the wide angle lens of iPhone 11s and upwards to shoot a minimum volume of about two by two. Um, yeah. And that can be with two, three or four iPhones. Um, but, you know, if you're taking kind of um, a typical setup, you'd be looking at using four iPhones and having a space anywhere between two by two to four by four. Um, and yeah, so from a fundamentals point of view, you download, you get your iPhones and you can, as I say, they don't need to be new. You can buy them from any refurbished site of which there are loads of them out there now. The iPhones turn, turn up, you download the app on each of the iPhones, you log into your um, your user account, um, you open up the app, you, you can automatically sync all the iPhones. Now the iPhones can literally be positioned either on tripods that they can be sat we've we've had we've seen them sat on skirting on tables they can be mounted sure. anywhere as long as they don't move when they're mounted um and then ultimately the kind of way the system works is you have a single device which is your host device so that is your master control for all of the devices and that that kind of master device then allows you to sync everything control everything and create your rig within that space so once you've done that you're then into calibration and we use the body to calibrate so the calibration kind of side of the technology takes about 180 seconds you just step in you hold your arms up and you kind of move towards each camera without going out of frame so you're marking out your volume and then once so basically, you've done so that, i'm in the middle i'm in claps, the middle so i'm in the middle and i just walk towards let's say we've got the cameras a b c and d right I'm in the middle, I walk towards A, then I walk towards B, then I walk towards C, and then I walk towards D. Yeah. And at this point, I'm not having, I, I should also say at this point, we're wearing whatever we want, but we probably don't want loose fitting, super loose fitting clothes. And we want some contrast between us and the background, right? Because like, we don't want to look like we're kind of. Yeah. In, a, in an idea world, um, you know, we can deal with relatively loose fitting clothes. You don't need to be wearing lycra um i mean that defeats the object of the purpose obviously sure. but you know ultimately you kind of wear whatever you want um and yes for, for the sake of actually being in a position where you've got the best data output you know if you've got a beige um wall for example it's better that your clothes are the opposite color um, but you don't for, want for black right you don't but, want it's best not to be like in black because you want to have some definition presumably on the clothes and if I read correctly, also, it's a good idea maybe to be short-sleeved because you want to actually be able to see wrists and stuff rather than sort of being wearing, like, as you say, a full-body lycra kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, but, but black doesn't necessarily create any problems unless you're, you're fully sure. blacked. I mean, we've actually done a number of tests um, directly against both the inertial and optical systems where a lot of the suits are fully black and the data has come out really well. So black isn't an absolute, no, you can wear black. It's just that there are better colors to wear. I mean, to be honest with you, as long as the system can see the limbs and as long as the system can see your hands, it doesn't really matter whether your, your, your shirts are long sleeved or short sleeved, you know, as long as the system can see your arms and can see your hands, then you should get decent quality data. And yes, to your question, um, we've worked super hard on, on, on the finger tracking side. And when it comes to actually, um, you know, the quality of the finger tracking that we can get out, I mean, it's miles ahead of literally any other AI solution out there. And de dependent on the, the kind of level of quality that the, the creator or the studio requires it's 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 good enough for you know 80 90 percent of of use cases where you're kind of building great content i think we the thing i was gonna say about the finger tracking um, that uh, really appealed to me is because it's so hard as a problem but also the other problem is when i've been wearing gloves and you know i've got um motion capture suits and and and, and <laughs> pour myself into lycra occasionally uh embarrassingly but the trouble with the gloves as opposed to the suit is the very uh, construction of the gloves tends to cause you to hold your hands differently than you otherwise would. 
Like I don't know that I would say that about the suit. You might feel a bit embarrassed in it in a funeral lycra suit. But when it comes to these uh, gloves, quite often I just find my hand being affected by the resistance of the gloves and stuff, right? And what I loved about your system is because there's nothing there, it's it's the most likely to naturally cause the performer to respond in a way that's natural, which is just saying something, right? Rather than kind of forming a kind of a an inert hand because you just got gloves on and it feels kind of like you're wearing mittens. Well, yeah, one hundred percent. You know, I mean. we're really excited about you know the ability to have a kind of an out of the box system that can do everything bar facial animation, which obviously includes uh, finger tracking. Um, you know, a lot of people are, and we encourage experimentation with ancillary technology. Um, so, for example, like a lot of people are starting to use the on the beta the mobile system integrated with FaceGood. Um, so there's no issues, by the way, if you're wearing a kind of heads up display or iPhone on your face that doesn't throw off the the, the, the body or the head tracking whatsoever um, from our side. Um, but we also have had studios actually that want a higher fidelity um, kind of finger tracking, hand tracking solution. And they're using our markerless technology with existing gloves. And, you know, that's also something that people can do if they choose to do so. But for the people that can't afford a suit and gloves and have to buy both sets of kit, yeah, I mean, it's kind of pretty much everything bar facial animation out of the box. And to your point about, I guess, organic movement, I mean, one of the things that really excites us about kind of where the technology is now, and it's really important to underline that where the technology is now is is in its infancy. So, you know, we're competing against inertial tech and optical tech that's inertial might be what, 10, 15 years old, optical might be 30 years old. Yeah. You know, we've only got to the point where we're comparable in the past 18 months and we have exponential improvements to come with the technology right across the board, where it's reducing the number of cameras down to one, whether it's being able to track much, much higher fidelity micro movements, a vastly increased number of people, a much faster processing system, a much larger volume. We literally are at kind of baby stage. And and it really does excite us kind of the way in which the technology can capture mannerisms of movement as well. And, you know, you're, you're right in the sense that I think gloves, you know, are, are more restrictive in regards to kind of facilitating more likely to be synthetic more than organic movement. Um, but also, you know, the, the nature of kind of how you move when you're in a suit is fundamentally different to how you might move if you're not in a suit. And, you know, we haven't, it's super hard for us to benchmark that, as you'd imagine, because we can shoot someone in a suit and we can compare the data on the side by side. But, you know, we, for example, we work with, a, with, the, with the biggest you know, football federation in the world last year, and we were doing kind of dynamic testing um, on pitch. And you know, we can. There's only so big that the optical system can be, can go without costing millions and millions. And so we sure. did the biggest kind of surface area that the optical system could do, and we kind of did a correlated test against multiple people within suits moving. But we also did a test with kind of you know people without the suits moving, and and just. The nature of the way the data emerged in regards to you looking at even it, even just on a basic avatar being retargeted, it looked and felt more organic, you know. And, and there's this again another really kind of quite well known video we put out of my co-founder motion capturing his his little boy when he was four years old because obviously we we can do any shapes, any sizes, you know. It doesn't matter, you know, what size you are, what age you are. The tech works perfectly. And, and you were just able to see the kind of the, the mannerisms that your, your synapse was telling you from effectively that being retargeted onto the little robot, that that's a little kid, just by the mannerisms of how they move their hands and, and how they move their feet. And that kind of level of, of, of micro movement capture is something that, that really excites us as well, because, you know, we feel you've got the obvious reality of not being able to do your high fidelity motion capture in performance environments. And that might be on stage with an artist performing. It might be, you know, on a football pitch or on a rugby pitch or even at the Olympics, you know, you can't put these guys in suits. And as a, as a result, you can't derive, you know, performance movement in any other way. It's just impractical, you know, and that's yeah. sort of kind of what we can un- unlock. In I, I enjoyed seeing somebody too. working uh, gymnastic equipment, like, you know, like high bars and stuff. And it was just uh, extraordinary to watch. And I mean, let me, so there's two sides of this, right? Like there's one side of it that you can capture basically anyone, anywhere, anytime kind of thing. But at the other end of the spectrum, not to, to in any way um, imply a deficit, 
but like there are a few things that you can do to have the best results possible, right? And I'm sure a lot of people listening are like keen to to know those things that can maximize your chances of the best shot, right? Because um, I mean, there's there's uses for both, right? There's uses for like you've got a single camera if you can get all that working, obviously. But by the same token, like you talked about the iPhones and you were talking about buying, you know, secondhand ones and stuff. And I know that it works with an iPhone eight, if I'm not mistaken. But by the same token, right? Like and I'd be trying to. I say I'd be running mine with the latest iPhones because you know their optics and cameras and stuff in those suckers are is so good. Uh, and as you say, the better the cameras, you know, obviously the better the data that you've got to uh, to work with. Let me ask you this though: on those new iPhones, like the one I would happily go and use on the ultra wide lens, how or do you have to account for lens curvature or the sort of artifacts that come from a wide angle lens? Like, is there any need to have a shooting a grid, the sort of things that we'd otherwise do? Um, or is there just this is all solved by the triangulation, as it were, of the multiple cameras? Well, so the system, the core system that we've built has been set up to basically um, receive and ingest camera intrinsics. So, you know, we automatically know when you're shooting on an iPhone 14, you're shooting on an 8, or, you know, if you're shooting on an action camera, um, what the what the fundamental camera intrinsics are, and, and as a result, kind of what the video feed and the lens type and the type of kind of video file that that's coming into the system is, and as a result, it processes it in that way, knowing those intrinsics. And, you know, that's, again, it's kind of, one of the things that enables us to run the same core technology on an iPhone 14 as we can on a black magic camera as an example, which we've done, you know, quite recently in a, in a much larger volume area. So it's, it's just about understanding the camera intrinsics. I mean, believe it or not, the honestly, the, the, the quality of the motion data that we're seeing, if you were to directly compare for iphone 11s to for iphone uh, iphone 14s you know it doesn't make a massive massive amount of difference mm. um what makes the difference is, is the number of devices but you know we certainly don't say to people you've got to go out and buy the 13s no, or 14s yep. using dramatic jump in data you know you know some of the biggest clients in the world you know people like ea are testing at the moment with 11s and 12s and stuff because you know in those types of scenarios as well it's also about because because scaling kind of animation and motion capture is, is so price sensitive or has been historically because ultimately you've got to buy a suit or build a studio and you can only buy one suit so if, if a studio wants motion capture they've got to have one suit or buy two suits or three suits and again with an optical s- system you've got a studio we've got to physically take someone whereas with our system you know a company can sign up to effectively using it and under one license have people literally in 20 different countries doing animation simultaneously and so it's a case then of optimizing actually what's the right type of hardware that we need so we can create in effect 10 different motion capture studios all over the planet um and so we've kind of worked quite hard on the back end technical side of enabling the same kind of quality so long as we understand the camera intrinsics from the lower grade cameras the, one of the fundamental differences between the 8 and the 11 is you don't have the ultra wide right yep. so the uh, the iPhone 11 and upwards have the ultra wide and so that allows you to shoot in a much tighter space the the 8 stone and we we kind of this this is a really good question because it leads on to another question that, that's coming a lot to us is why have you not done android why are you launching on ios and you know you know when is android coming now android is coming but the challenge with android is the level of or the multitude of different devices the multitude of different camera types that we then need to support to effectively say here's right. an android app that works with kind of all of the models now so we can't we're literally working on that at the moment so we, you know we aspire to be in a position come summer this year where we are supporting the top three or four different android models because it is as simple as us kind of effectively plugging the camera intrinsics from the different models into our system so we know that it can work then creating the same kind of networking capability that we've done with the iphone devices on android but it's just a a much more complex challenge due to the nature of the number of different you know device manufacturers and camera types um, that we need to work with hey i've got a dumb question for you i know that you can use an ipad as the uh sort of host driver the, the basically the control station but can you use ipads with their cameras or for, as like on all around in the system or is it just better with iPhones? 
in in the next in the next uh, I'd say in the next two months we're going to start bringing the capability to use different iPads with cameras on yeah as well. And, for, and, and second dumb question: Does it matter if it's portrait or uh, or landscape? <laughs> That's an odd question, but I was just curious. <laughs> You know what? That isn't that isn't a dumb question at all. It's it's, it's actually a, a, a question that's come out, um, you know, quite um, regularly. So at the moment, the system is set up for landscape. Um, so you've got to set up the phones, the devices in landscape. Um, but we've already already got it working on portrait. Um, so portrait will be something that will be added to to the system um, probably around March. Actually, I I, I would say um, you know it's just kind of a, a variable setting that we need to do in the back end. But you know the thing the thing that's really important to rem- remember is. The, the the orientation of the camera set has got to be consistent. So what right. you can't have if you've got four iPhone is two in landscape and two in portrait. <laughs> They've all got to be the same orientation, so it's the same video. I know that sounds like a really stupid thing to say, but no, you, know, no, you no. will have people that will just kind of not. Yep. You know what I mean? And the, the other thing that getting back to some of the pieces that you've published that I thought was really impressive is the basically the ground calibration. Like people seem to be planting their feet on the ground Again, you said there's no need to have shoot checkerboards for uh, calibrating the cameras, but how do I calibrate the floor? Is that just done from that initial bit where the people are walking around? Because it seems to be very, I mean, that's a problem with like some systems, right? You just end up having people drift and basically moonwalk when they're not meant to be. So, so yeah, I mean, ultimately the, 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 the ground truth, the volume and the XYZ coordinates are all captured and fed into the system as part and parcel of that calibration uh, we're also using effectively the measurements that you're putting in of the person that is calibrating um to work that out so part and parcel what you put into the system is the height of the the individual person that you've calibrated um but yeah i mean that you know the uh, we had an influencer that was talking about it the other day that the kind of the accuracy of movement in world space is is really impressive and it, it, it genuinely is really impressive and again there's an incredible video on our website that we're about to kind of uh, push live in the next two days that I strongly recommend everyone sees, which I think Vince and the team showed at SIGGRAPH, which is effectively a direct comparison where you've got effectively a block of stairs. So it's a wooden I've seen the stairs comparison. Five. Yeah, that stairs comparison is what I was thinking about, actually. Like, it's not just the ground plane. It's like climbing up the stairs, but then also jumping off the stairs <laughs> and hitting the ground plane, which was, yeah. like, remarkable. Completely. And we, we you know, again – Coming back to the kind of this the story of how we got to where we are, that the foot contact, um, the root motion, um, you know, and making that as good as possible was one of the first things that we kind of embarked on with um, with the EA team to optimize in the technology. Because traditionally, um, you know, the vast majority of AI systems and most inertial systems struggle there. They're, they're weakest there with the foot contact and the root motion, and particularly yeah. as well when you're kind of lying down or rolling across the floor and you know that for us was was something that was really something we really concentrated on on getting right and yeah i mean the, the quality of, of of that in the system is is it's really kind of exceeded all of our all, all of our expectations but as i say it's only going to improve in 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 the next six to 12 months now we were talking before about suits but the other thing is you can be capturing inside this volume multiple people at once so give me the the sort of the feeling on that like what's a if i've got say six iphones set up um what's a sensible number of people that you could reasonably get um and how close can they interact can they you know be ballroom dancing for example well so um for for six people we would say that there was a maximum of three capture subjects um sorry for six devices um so with six devices you you and let's say you're shooting at three people you probably need a a volume of somewhere in the region of about um five by five or six by six in a minimum um right. five phones can comfortably shoot two people you know we've got really good quality data out of four phones shooting two people as well um you know when it comes to the intricacy of the movement um you know you can get pretty close you know in regards to kind of things like high-fiving and even hugging you know clearly the system will start to struggle um where for example you've got almost like a wrestling move so let's say someone lies on the floor and someone jumps on top of them you know unless you've got real definition and this is this is in part i think where the clothing thing is 
it does have a bearing because you know different types of clothing is going to allow the system to recognize different bodies even when they're either occluded or physically on top or intertwined with one, one another then obviously if the clothing is 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 quite similar um but you know ultimately kind of with a 5 or 6 iphone system uh, you can comfortably shoot between two and three individuals you know we we've shot 22 in, in individuals but we've done that with higher grade cameras and so you know most of the stuff that's been done with more than three people has been done with higher grade cameras in in larger volumes but with that modular iphone system you've got no issue shooting two or three people and i guess the brutally honest answer to your, your question as well mike is that there's en endless movements that we can test we can't test everything yeah, sure. so you know like um you know there's there's only so far we can test before we can say okay you can do these movements and you can't do these movements and again part of the beta program part of actually why we're kind of coming out with this price point is we really want people to kind of actually start to find out and and collectively help us understand the limitations of the system because really it's by doing that and getting that feedback that we can improve and optimize it so if we know for example you've got three people and it works perfectly until the point where you've got them you know specifically kind of almost like in a triangle hugging and that's where it falls over we can then start to look at actually how are we doing better individual recognition from an actor profiling point of view or uh from 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 a kind of a body recognition point of view so that we can we can solve that problem and, and that, that's kind of the way in which we are going to make those those massive leaps is really pushing the system to its breaking point and we've been doing that consistently in the past 12 no, months whether that the, is a it's the terrible part about my job. It sounds like I'm trying to pick holes in the system and I'm absolutely not doing that. It's just setting up the, because uh, I mean, I know that it's remarkable and I also know that you've got more, uh, a lot more to come, but still it's great to know where it is at the moment and where those kind of limits are. Um, I guess the other huge obvious question I need to ask you is what about prop tracking? Um, like, you know, people holding props. So, so at the moment, ball tracking works beautifully. Um, we're kind of bringing on prop tracking in the next, I'd say, in the next kind of two to three months. You know, we've, we we honestly we deprioritize prop tracking over perfecting the body. You know, we're kind of really, I'd say, close to being. I, I wouldn't say we perfected it, but I'd say the body is now at a level where it's it's really good, and so the tech mm. team can start focusing on how we can start to track props and bring track propping into the system. So from, from a, from a ball at the moment, the system works great. If you're tracking a ball, um, you know, at the moment, most of, most of kind of how people are using the system where they are effectively using props is, for example, there was a, one of our creators did, did a sword fight, a lightsaber fight, and he was just out there effectively holding a stick. So you had the kind of the perfect ergonomics of the way the hands were moving around holding the stick, but we weren't tracking the stick necessarily. But that was quite easy to add in once everything was retargeted and, and in, in Unreal. And it's saying we've had loads of people kind of having a play with 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 guns and actually holding the gun itself so holding the exact prop that they want whilst we're not tracking the prop itself what we're tracking is the exact hand orientation and movement of how the prop is being held so it's then relatively straightforward to drop the prop in um but it's coming it's coming and i think we want to be in a position come you know early midsummer where prop tracking is brought online and we just need to think about the best most efficient way of doing that um so that it can scale and you're getting the kind of quality that people will start expecting that you're getting from the body um, with any kind of prop you want to track. So at the beginning, uh, we were discussing that you know you would calibrate by holding your hands over your head and clapping three times. Is the app syncing the cameras through Wi-Fi or whatever, or is that the actual sound of the clap that's doing some syncing between the cameras? The claps, the, well, so so the the app using Wi-Fi and Bluetooth is is. A effectively networking the cameras so networking the video feeds um the clap is what effectively you're registering and the system is using to create the time sync so it is the so my question is if they if after the calibration you've got an actor doing you know shakespeare or whatever and then they start doing something close to clapping just because it's called for in a creative sense is that going to cause a problem like or 
Not, 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 not at all, because when you're clapping effectively to create the sync at the beginning, what you're doing within the system is you're telling the system, this is where I'm effectively clapping. And we're working on automating that in the moment as well, but that's a manual thing. So you're kind of getting your video feeds uploaded, you're, you're telling the system the point within the video where you're clapping. So that once that's locked in, it doesn't matter if then someone is literally clapping all the time. There's no issues with that. That won't throw off the system at all. And so each camera is locally recording, and then you can feed that to the host either to do it like immediately or in fact later, right? If I'm on location, I don't have to, I can actually load to my host, right? And then take it back to the office and then upload it. Is that right? So there's, there's two things that you can do. Um, you can either pull all the video files onto the host and the host will send them directly to the cloud. You yep. can send directly from each device to the cloud if you've got connectivity. If you don't have any connectivity, you, you, you again, it's kind of the same process. Either all the video files are stored on each individual device or you can pull all the files onto the host device and upload them whenever you've got connectivity. So you don't have to have um, internet-based capability to be able to shoot and motion capture. You can kind of still network the phones and have the files and upload them later. And, and one of the one of the key things that is a dramatic leap forwards with the iPhone system, and it's one of the reasons why we've kind of built it as rapidly as we have, and is a dramatic improvement on the GoPro action camera setup is uh you know currently the 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 action camera kind of marketplace doesn't without a wired in system facilitate for automated file transfer from device or camera yeah you know, up to up to the cloud. so you know that that was a key thing i mean we joked or talked about buying cheaper iphones but it doesn't matter which kind of mobile device you use like that is actually a remarkable piece of technology in terms of how much you know, storage, camera, quality, uh, computational stuff you have, Wi-Fi, all of those things that you want. Um, <clears throat> it makes a $1,000 actually look pretty cheap when you compare it to uh, to what you could get otherwise. Okay, so so we've discussed the logistics of it. We've discussed where you guys have come from. I mean, I'm super keen to know without breaking any uh, – I know it's patented, but what can you tell us about the underlying technology? It's clearly not just some kind of photogrammetry. It's not active or passive markers like – and yet I'm not providing it with any specific training data of me. What's the core technological approach? Um, so, I mean, yes, everything is patented and the patents are publicly available. They're granted pretty much all over the world. So, you know, if you want to go and have a look and find out the, the detail behind the patent, please feel free. That it's, it's a kind of a publicly available document. You know, from a fundamentals point of view, it's about um, – kinematics biomechanics and physics so it's about translating the way in which we can understand the basic pose estimation uh using nothing that's kind of open source so everything that we've built really from the ground up is proprietary and then translating that data into something that is um effectively the way humans move so applying kind of models whereby we are we're taking something from a a pose estimation skeleton and applying advanced kinematics and physics and biomechanics and enhancing that data into something that's truly representative by you know the fundamentals of how people move um and that that really is the secret source the secret source is the 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 algorithmic enhancement of the data from what you'll see all over the place as being kind of binary pose estimation output into something that is a high quality, truly representative data set of, of how that person is moving. And there's a huge amount of work that's gone into effectively, you know, applying the various different kind of models that are required to translate that basic pose estimation piece into something that's that's much higher fidelity. I guess the other thing that I'm really interested in is well, what the, uh, the sort of the thing that, that it's fascinating to me, right, about machine learning in general, but also you've got this particular problem, is what ground truth is. Because there's sort of a couple of ways that I could see that you could naturally validate stuff, right? Technically, obviously, if you produce something that works from multiple different camera angles, right, there's like a delta, like you can basically just kind of reduce the error, right? So it's getting a more precise thing from a solution that could be viewed from any of the... Uh, cameras when virtualized on a digital. But at the end of the day, you're trying to estimate from the outside of my body what the joints and a fundamental kind of pivot points inside my body are. And there just is no ground truth on that, right? Um, like it's not as if you 
you can just say, oh, we'll get Mike and we'll actually find out where his joint actually is by drilling a hole in his elbow and sticking a sensor in there, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, yeah. and so, but bear with me on this because if you, and I'm not saying you are, but like if you are comparing to a suit, um, you can say, okay, well, like, you know, it looks better and you could come up with mathematical deltas. But again, the suit is only doing the same thing, right? It's trying to approximate from the outside of the body to where the inside joints are. Yeah. Um, and so it's an interesting problem, like what ground truth is. And you could even go so far as to say, well, I'll make a computer model and produce uh, synthetic data. But again, the synthetic data is going to be, you know, a combination of how that internal visualization is represented by its external motion. And in most cases, that's not going to do good flesh sims. So on specifically, okay, me, I'm not super trim, not super fit, but let's say uh, my arm is, you know, my arm is, uh, sorry, my stomach is wobbling or whatever. Um, you know, like that's all because my skeleton has this sort of flesh on top of it. And so just, you know, like what is truth um, here? And I don't mean this in a philosophical sense. I mean, like in a mathematical sense, it's kind of hard to, to know how to solve that. That's a really good question. Um, and it's a problem as well, actually, for us, because um, I guess there's, there's three lenses that you can kind of look at um, ground truth from the non-mathematical and, you know, more emotional point of view, there's the, the, the eye test. So, you know, does that avatar moving make me believe in my synapses that that's my movement and that, that you know that might sound quite a fluffy thing to say but you know you'd be really surprised by how many people start using our system and then recognize the micro movements as to how they move as being their own from 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 just the way in which they can recognize oh, Anthony, i com i completely agree with you i i can a hundred percent agree with you which is why I can see my wife in a crowd like miles away, right? I recognize her gait, I recognize her silhouette, all these things you don't think that you notice. But and 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 like that 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 is, you know, it's it's again, it's a bit bit of a fluffy initial answer to your question, but it's it's, in, it's incredible like how your synapses yep. can do that. The, the second answer to your question is, you know, we there's ways we can benchmark ground truth and you know, clearly the the the, the approach to benchmarking ground truth is, you know, what are the systems that are out there that are defined and understood by the industry as being the best motion capture systems that exist? And we've kind of, we've, we've proactively and we continue to proactively benchmark the system against all of those solutions, you know, and at every scale, whether that's an optical system that's relatively small at the low end that costs 50,000 to an optical system that's one of the best in the world that costs multi-millions, right? And, you know, consistently we're showing very close comparability to what is the industry is defining as effectively ground truth based on best-in-class motion capture solutions. But when it goes to a scenario where you know, ultimately, it's impossible to derive the ground truth. So football's a really good example of this. And kind of the work that we've done with, with major federations is, again, this, this was a key question that came up. Because, you know, if you're setting up an optical system on a football pitch, and, you know, you can't set up for the full pit football pitch, but let's say you're doing it around the penalty box, which is kind of amongst the largest volume you could do without spending huge amounts of money. Um, what we're doing in that scenario is we're correlating the ground truth between our system and an optical system. And then when players are moving outside of effectively that volume that we are tracking with cameras that are covering the entire volume of the pitch, the assumption is if you've got the correlated ground truth directly correlated to an optical system where you've then got people moving outside of it, then the kind of the correlation to what is the agreed ground truth based on the optical system being the ground truth that's the closest and agreed by the industry, you're then coming outside of that. And the way you're capturing people outside of effectively where the optical system can capture, you know, your 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 ground truth is defined by the accuracy of the correlation within the volume of the optical system. However, and this is kind of where it gets really challenging and no one knows how to do this. And we're, you know, we're kind of we, we, we it's one of the things that for us this year is is we're going to look at quite carefully because you know, you would have heard Vince and the capture team at SIGGRAPH talk about where we're going with them. And clearly, it doesn't take a genius to understand that what we're trying to do with EA is 
is ultimately get to a point where we can capture performance-based environments like the NFL, like um, the Premier League, like the Olympics, like, um, you know, the NBA, um, and actually be able to capture the performance-based movement from the scenario where it's happening in athletic and peak environments into a gaming environment. And in that scenario, there is there's no way to correlate and compare ground truth. There really isn't a way. Yes, you've got skeletal systems that give you a relatively good sense of positional data and you know joint data, but you know they're, 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 there's no way that they're going to be defined as being kind of a ground truth in 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 a optical studio sense of the word. And so, you know, it's it's one of the challenges which is you know hugely exciting for us is how do we get to a scenario where we've got pretty much the only system in the world that can compete with optical and we can do it in a large volume with 22 players. So how do we correlate ground truth in a scenario where no other technology right now can give the level of accuracy that we can that compares to an optical system? And it's, 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 a, it's a really interesting question for us. It is a phenomenally interesting question, but I would also say at the other end of the spectrum, there's another phenomenally interesting thing, which is, uh, not for the sports thing, not for the wide uh, team stuff, which I you know, completely agree with you is, is really important. But like at the individual uh, level, when you're trying to get data out, like I don't have one bone that connects in many of my limbs. I normally have two, right? And uh, the nature of like how things work is often, you know, a product of not just a single bone or a single like structure that's sort of represented by a typical skeleton. And it seems to me that you could be deriving stuff to do with the skeleton, um, but also with the sort of tech like uh, NERFs, for example, right? You could be getting a effectively a volumetric um, approximation of what the exterior is like. And then you could be doing something that takes those two and try and find a way of feeding like from the inside out and the outside in. Um, and again, this is just looking down the track. Now I know that you've got lots of really good stuff and you've even published some really cool ideas that I hadn't even thought of. Like, for example, um, I noted that in your forward uh, roadmap, you had a great idea somebody came up with for using the uh, Apple Watch to control the cameras. I think those are great, right? But yeah. fr from an AI machine learning point of view, like am I barking up the wrong tree to think that you couldn't take some of these other machine learning AI things that are volumetric and then sort of use those as another piece of information to go into your solving pipeline? Yeah, I mean, I think um, from a fundamentals point of view, the approach to openness around adding uh, ancillary value-add data streams, whatever they may be, is something that we're incredibly keen on and technically enabling. I mean, look, I, I give you a slightly different but kind of aligning example. You know, at the, at the recent World Cup, there's a chip in the ball which measures to a, an incredible degree of accuracy um, the ball's movement and positioning. So being able to kind of build that into, into our system in terms of a correlated volumetric motion map of where players are in correlation to the ball and how the ball translates in regards to the movement of the the foot when it's kicked you know you've got two really aligned data streams that enhance each other and yes we are looking to your point about volumetric at ways in which you know computer vision derived um volumetric is giving us data that we can't in the same way that we're making massive leaps when it comes to things like you know lidar information for dramatically improving uh quality so for us it's about understanding the different kind of data sets that we can derive they're going to add to the accuracy of the solve but the, the, the initial solve is exactly what does this body look like and how's it in, in ergonomically um you know in reality kind of derived uh, and then kind of digitized and then how are we then improving the algorithms to really ultimately kind of get to a point where exactly what happens in real life is represented in kind of digital environments and and, and I, I can definitely see a scenario where you know in the next 6 12 18 months there are a number of ancillary technologies to our own which we're ultimately building in to create a much better product and that doesn't just kind of relate to the core technology 
it also relates to kind of the output as to what you can do with emotion data, whether that's retargeting, whether that's avatar generation, whether that's all the generative AI tools are exploding to be able to create scenes and 3D objects and videos and stuff like that. So we are incredibly open as a business and we built the tech stack to be absolutely kind of capable of being able to ingest ancillary value add data streams to improve it. I mean, that, that's it's a, it's a kind of a, a key mantra that we have from a tech development point of view. Because the thing about a skeletal system based off markers is it's an incredibly sparse data set that goes in, right? I mean, you know, like if I'm wearing a inertia suit, right, there's really aren't that many sensors, especially there are very few around the neck and spine. They're inferred, of course, but they're pretty rare, I'd like to have many. Um, and so shoulder, spine, uh, curvature stuff, I imagine in athletes is an incredibly critical point. I mean, I already mentioned the fact that obviously in the legs and the arms, you have two bones, not one um, in, in reality. So that gives a different twist property. But the, the, the spine, the, the shoulder blade, the way the shoulders work and up into the neck, like it feels like your system has the potential to provide a lot more information and a lot more granularity of movement on those either actors or athletes than we would get from a marker system, or at least the current approach to marker systems, which is to not you know, necessarily have someone covered in, uh, in sensors. 100 um, percent and actually there's an incredibly i don't know whether you whether you saw it or whether it was part of the same talk that we do with the uh, cigarette but um one of the things we were talking about is the extensive amount of work that's going in at the moment about spine recognition and how spine biomechanics from getting spine recognition right influences how people move yeah absolutely um, and, and that that's kind of part of the development path of, of the things we're working on and yes to your point like you know it comes back to where we currently are in regards to the infancy of what this can do and how good it can get moving forwards because like when you're comparing it to a sensor-based system be that inertial or optical you know the the solve is world class and you know the motion data is is considered to be the best in the industry as 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 as, as it should be based on the kind of the time that it's been around but you know there are limitations to how much better those systems can get right so there are fundamental limitations. So, you know, you could argue that the likes of kind of the inertial suits and the optical suits have marginal improvements to make over the next decade, right? Marginal improvements. Whereas what, what the kind of path we're going down, we're talking about exponential improvements and all the things that you talk about in terms of biomechanical recognition and being able to understand kind of in much more advanced de detail, human kinematics, algorithmically is kind of what's driving that potential for, for, for exponential improvement. And again, for us, we've, we've really spent a lot of time kind of focusing on entertainment and gaming and, and sport and, you know, VFX as uh, you know, kind of marketplace for us, but we see there being a huge opportunity for the technologies we move forward in, in healthcare uh, and, and the mm. medical industry, because, oh, yeah. you know, ultimately th th those kind of applications are, are, are are likely to start being opened up by the kind of things that that we can do. It's just for us, obviously, as a relatively small company, we've got to prioritize on on where sure. we want to be and continue on the core tech. I know that you're not doing facial, and let's face it, most of the face is not bone based. I mean, the skull is like a bone, but like most of it is muscular and sheet muscle at that. But the jaw, the jaw is definitely a boned kind of entity, and again, because of I guess just gross breathing kind of things. Any interest in in sort of tracking jaw, the skull being, of course, sort of relatively fixed? Well, I mean, it's fixed, obviously the skull's fixed, but like it's not moving nearly as much relatively to the body as the jaw does. So um, it's interesting. We, 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 we're being asked quite a bit about facial animation. Um, there is definitely interest in, in, in it, I guess. Is it... Does it does it create a step change for us as a technology that's coming into market? You know, if we can do relatively low grade facial tracking when current facial tracking solutions are relatively cost effective and work really well and work perfectly with our current system. So it's a case of kind of prioritizing the 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 technical 
capability that we have and the time that's going into the R&D and the evolution of the system. And, you know, for us, that time in the short term, i.e. the next probably six, 12 months is much better kind of focused towards perfecting the body and making the body and multiple bodies and all the things we've just discussed world-class and constantly pushing the boundaries. So for us, you know, we, we, we definitely can see a scenario over the next kind of 12, 18, 24 months where everything from jaw tracking to face tracking starts to be something that kind of comes online into the system and the technology is set up to be able to do. Um, but at the moment with where we are and, and what we can offer to the marketplace in terms of a solution, um, facial tracking, there are so many great facial tracking systems out yep. there. It's, it's easier for us to kind of deprioritize the technology roadmap that would be kind of what we need to put in place to get that solved to a comparable level, um, really to kind of defer that to down the line and just kind of say to people that, look, if you want to do a, and there's some great examples that just come out on, on YouTube from our beta of pe- people doing incredible stuff, just from motion tracking with the, with the face good system. And, you know, someone was creating a, a music video in, in five minutes, just standing literally there with a chair kind of playing the piano with his HUD on and, you know, be able to output that whole piece into unreal and it looked brilliant. And so like creating something that's, that's, from a software point of view, you know, I guess combining the face with the bodies, of course, we'd love to get there. But there, there are a number of relatively accessible solutions that can do that to high quality. And equally, bear in mind, like the the solving whether it's the jaw or the entire face is is, is a much harder challenge for us to try and derive than the body because obviously, you know, it's much easier where you've got a camera pointed at your face. Right. But if there's no camera and you're not wearing everything, we're capturing you from multiple different angles. We've got to correlate the way your face is moving and the way you might solve the moving your face from camera to camera if your face is moving around. Because um, ultimately, if, if, if all we're doing is creating a software that runs off an iPhone that you kind of point at your head, that isn't really any different from a lot of the stuff that's out there. The, the kind of the holy grail would obviously be being in a position where you walk into your environment and basically you don't need to wear anything everything from you know the way your fingers move to the way your toes move to the way you know your kind of your facial facial muscles move is all done by the same system yeah maybe it's a naive thing but i would but the fact you've already got finger tracking working it just seems to me on a scale if i had to and i don't know i'm just hypothesizing but i would imagine like there's finger tracking then there's jaw tracking then there's face tracking and absolutely i agree with you about the face tracking um but yeah, I mean, what what you're saying makes complete sense, right? Like, uh, and and a better body tracker is um, is what we all want, right out of the gate, and a reliable one that lets an actor interact with other actors in a way that allows them to act is the sort of the number one priority for uh, for narrative work. And then I guess for sporting work, as we were discussing earlier with the gloves, you want the most natural movement that the athlete is doing, the least. Uh, affected by the technology uh, that you can get and then you're going to get the most genuine kind of uh kind of movement tracking um yeah and just one other thing to add and just a shout out i mean you know alongside epic nvidia have been incredible to us they've been an amazing partner and we've been working very closely with them for a long time you, you support um, you know, uh omniverse right and you know you fully yeah we support the- omniverse yeah yeah um and 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 they, when we first kind of really started engaging with a lot of their senior technical team, they were talking about how hard the body, as a pro, as a technical challenge, is to solve. Um, and, you know, there when it comes to facial animations, there are other tools that are that are coming out like audio to face, which kind of semi-solve the problem, not to the fidelity that it needs to. Um, but you know, as I say, it's kind of one of those other things where there are solutions that are going to improve audio to face you know, whether it's NVIDIA's or anyone else's tool is going to improve. Um, and so kind of there, there are other solutions to solving that problem that are much more near term than than, than 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 we might be doing it. With How many people are there in Move AI? So as of last week, there's 32 of us. Um, okay. uh, by probably by next month, we're going to be up to 35, 36. So still relatively small. Mind you, finding 36 good people uh, in, in, in this area isn't an easy task in of itself, right? Like there's huge demand for good people right now. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 would, I would say that one of the biggest challenges that we face as a business, particularly when it comes to developing a world-class kind of core technology, is finding people with that talent 
in in regards to AI, deep learning, machine learning, computer vision, you know, and being able to one um, convince them that jumping on board with us is is the right career move as a startup when you know pretty much every massive software company in the world is looking for people like that. Um, and 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 two, kind of retaining them and 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 ensuring that they they kind of see the the opportunity the potential as to what we're doing um and and that that that's an obvious challenge but we've 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 been really brilliant at that and we we have genuinely got a you know a team of 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 R&D engineers now and and kind of experts of computer vision and, and human kinematics that are, that are amongst the best in the world and that's testament to the kind of clients that we're working with that that we can do that and what they've built well look thank you so much for taking time to walk us through all that uh it's really exciting and as we've touched on a few times this is the beginning not the end of the journey so uh we look forward to uh to following on and i guess um by the time this goes out, I imagine that you'll be very close to release. Otherwise, I know that on the website people can apply for the beta. Uh, but either way, um, yeah, it's great. And uh, and again, I can't thank you enough for taking time to talk to us. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us, Anthony. Um, again, I think it's really interesting technology, especially at the cost of a dollar a day. I think that's amazing. As I mentioned, we're going to explore using using that as part of our curriculum over at FXPHD. And, Super excited about that and interested to dive into that. Um, I'm actually headed back to the States from Mexico and already placed an order on eBay for several iPhone 11 phones. So looking forward to that. And thanks, everyone, for taking the time to download and listen to the FX podcast. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to our next podcast. See ya. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.